27 years ago, I was living on the Gold Coast in Queensland and I flew from the Gold Coast to Perth to do a three-day workshop at the AIM, Australian Institute of Management. It was run by a gentleman by the name of Gary Capelli. Anyway, I flew in on a Friday night. I arrived there at the Institute, was met by everyone. That's where I met Alistair 27 years ago. And this facilitator, Gary, held up a book, this book. Well, actually, not this book. It was an earlier version of this book, a cream version. 27 years ago, it's quite a long time ago, a cream version of this book, and I was quite amused by his book. It was full. It was about this, this thick, you know, double the size, because it was full of post-it notes. And it was heavily highlighted, this book. And he said that if he was 10 years younger, he would go to the Vedanta Academy in India and study under this Swami, Swami Parthasarathy, the author of this book. And my ears pricked. I don't remember anything else from that three-day weekend except this. And I was fortunate enough to be billeted out by a wonderful family who had this book in their library. And I picked it up that night, fell asleep reading it. I mean, I couldn't put it down, but I fell asleep reading. And I woke up in the morning and started reading it again. And it just blew me away. It was the first book that I had read, and I'd been on the journey for, for three years prior to this. Oh, no, longer than that, four years since 1988. And um, it was the first book that spoke to me. It's not for everybody, as this course will not be for everybody. It is very different to the yoga and meditation that is being practiced today. That's why I thought it was very important to present this topic, Vedanta, meditation and the three yogas. I find that the world needs this. And I, the, the course in India, well, to cut a long story short, I flew from Perth back to the Gold Coast, packed my bags and flew to India. Within six weeks I was there and I was there for three years to do a three-year course and repeated the course and stayed six years in total. And since then I've been teaching Vedanta and self-management, which is Vedanta in a very practical sense. So that's my story. And so this word Vedanta... It is an ancient Sanskrit word that means the end of knowledge, means the culmination of knowledge. It springs from the Himalayas 10,000 years ago. A galaxy of sages and saints spoke the truth. Those who had realized the self spoke the truth about Vedanta. And once you know this subject, once you know Vedanta, and there is a lot to be known, it is not easy to realise the self. It is not easy to gain samadhi. But once you have gained that state, there is nothing more to be known. Meaning that you are totally fulfilled. 
100% complete, fully satisfied, fully full. Today, because we haven't realised the self, because we haven't realised who we really are, we feel a sense of incompleteness, a sense of emptiness, of unfulfilment, dissatisfaction in life. We feel a void, an emptiness. And from this void, our thoughts rush into the world, seeking fulfilment. Physically, emotionally, intellectually and spiritually, we're seeking fulfilment. Purely because we do not know who we really are. And Vedanta introduces us to who we really are. Not only introduces us, it takes us right to that state of self-realization. So Vedanta takes us from where we are to where we've always been. Because we are that state. We're ignorant of it. That state of fulfillment is our original state. This is who we really are. But it's like we've been compressed and we feel pressure. It's like, imagine a coiled spring two feet high and you push that spring down. There is naturally a pressure there. And we're all at this state of feeling this pressure. We're all at different levels of pressure, no question about that. We're all at different levels of spiritual development. But we all feel a sense of pressure, pushing. It, and it's pushing our palm upwards. You know, when you push a spring down, it's pushing the palm upwards. Where is the palm going to? Where is the palm being pushed to? Does anybody know? The spring is being compressed, right? Where is the palm being pushed to, forced to? Getting back to the original state. Exactly. This is what we are doing. We feel pressure and we are pushed, as it were, out into the world by our desires, by our thoughts, to find fulfillment every moment of every day from the moment we wake up in the morning till the end of the day. Our desires push us out into the world seeking fulfillment from the moment we're born till the end of our life unless we take up this knowledge. Otherwise we're just caught up in the world. And the world is a fascinating place, no question about that, but it is Maya, Mithya, these are words, Sanskrit words, for illusion. It doesn't exist. We don't exist. You don't exist. That's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we're so convinced that this is who I am. I am this physical body. I am this mind and all the emotions. This is me. When we feel sad, we feel sad. We're attached to that sadness. And we collapse with it. When we're happy, we jump for joy. 
and we attach to that joy. And then sadness comes again. We are not our thoughts. We get so attached to our concepts and ideas and our thinking. And we think we're so wonderful. Ego. We are not this. We are ourself. We are our true self. And we have to get back to that state. Otherwise, we will never find fulfillment in the world. Ask the richest person in the world if he's fulfilled. What do you think his answer will be? He's going through a divorce at the moment, so he probably is not very fulfilled. <laughs> Correct. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. This is what the first American billionaire, J.D. Rockefeller, when he was interviewed, he was asked, how much is enough? He, he was a, America's first billionaire, and he was asked this question, how much is enough? Do you know what his answer was? A little bit more. A little bit more. Just give me a little bit more. That's all I want. A little bit more. He's got a billion dollars or two billion. He wants the next billion. The richest man today will want the next billion. Never satisfied. And we want that. We want that wealth. You will never be satisfied in the world. We have to find that satisfaction within. And this subject gives you that. This knowledge fills you up completely. But you have to work on yourself. Coming here on a Monday night will be a great start. But it, it requires daily contemplation. I won't even say the word meditation. Because we're not at that state yet. You have in front of you a diagram which is taken from this book, Vedanta Treaties. We'll get to that in a moment. But there are preparatory practices, pre-meditative practices that we need to get into before we can meditate effectively. Everybody's practicing meditation. Some people find it so difficult, and I understand why. Some people are going off to retreats, silent retreats, meditation retreats. There's a danger there. We need to know what we're doing with ourselves. Our mind is a very subtle faculty, and to shut it off is dangerous. We can't do that. We need to prepare our mind for meditation. And the three yogas, karma yoga, bhakti yoga and jnana yoga, which we'll learn through this course, are the pre-meditative practices that make your mind meditative, which means that you are calm and composed throughout the day, every day of your life even in the most challenging situations. You can be calm and composed. Wouldn't you all like that? 
but it requires self-effort on our part. And that's where we fail. We don't want to put in effort. People don't want to put in effort. So the effort is these three yogas, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, and jnana yoga. We'll get onto that in a moment. So going back to this word Vedanta, it's a Sanskrit word. Broke, can be broken up into two Sanskrit words, Veda and Anta. Veda means knowledge, not just any knowledge, not worldly knowledge. It means the higher knowledge, the highest, highest knowledge of Vedanta. Knowledge, Veda and Anta, end. So Vedanta, Veda and Anta means the end of knowledge. Okay? It takes you to realizing who you really are, your true self. So these pre-meditative practices, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, and jnana yoga, what they do is they deal with what is going on inside of us. In the sense there, and what is inside of us? Anybody? Yes? Consciousness. Consciousness. Yes, anything else? What is consciousness? <clears throat> In the dictionary, needs to go within. Is that consciousness? Okay. Anything else? Awareness. Sorry? Awareness. Yeah. Awareness. <coughs> Anything else? Emotions. Emotions. Good answer. Anything else? Feelings, thoughts. What is inside of us? Yes, you're right, consciousness and awareness. What makes us conscious? What makes us aware? That's the question. So we are pure consciousness. That is our original state. And everything that we do in life is either taking us towards that state or taking us away from that state. Hopefully, after the end of this course, you'll be working towards that state. So, pure consciousness is our original state. Conditioned consciousness is our ego state. It's still conscious. Still consciousness, but it is conditioned consciousness. Now, what we have inside of us are two faculties. One identifies with ego. The other identifies with our true self. The mind is that which feels. Now, this is philosophy. It is not psychology. Psychology will say something different. This is subtler than psychology. The mind feels, it has emotions, it has personal preferences. We need to know this because the three yogas deal with the mind. Okay, The mind causes all our worries, all our anxieties, all our agitation, 
our stress and strain, our depression, our anger, our fear, our jealousy. The mind is the cause of all of this because the mind is emotions. What are the, the emotion, emotions that we have? Fear, anger, jealousy, hatred, passion, love, compassion, kindness. We have negative emotions and we have beautiful positive emotions. With this philosophy, you will gain more and more of the positive emotions and reduce completely those negative emotions. It has feelings, the mind. You know, you feel good on one day. You feel shocking another day. Feelings. Feels hot, feels cold, etc. The mind has personal likes and dislikes which we've collected since childhood. Personal preferences. I like this, I don't like this. I like what she's saying, I don't like what she's saying. I like what she's wearing, I don't like what she's wearing. You know, it goes on. And we make judgments based on our likes and dislikes. If you didn't know that, know it today. We make judgments based on our likes and dislikes. The mind is full of desires, full of desires. And where do these desires come from? It's identification to self. Like yes, that is self. the ego, isn't it? The identification that we have with our, our self, our limited self. Yeah, these desires. Yep. It, you're absolutely right, in fact, because it is ignorance. Ignorance of who we really are. This is the starting point of where the desires come from. And ignorance of who we really are is this ego. So desires spring from the mind, which comes from ego. These desires come from ignorance of self. And the more ignorant we are of this true self, the more desires we will have. The, in, put in another way, the emptier we are, the more desires we will have. The more incomplete we feel, the more desires we have. The more fulfilled we feel, the more complete we feel, the less desires we have. The mind is also impulses. I could go on. This is what the mind is. And it causes all our frustration. It causes all our problems in life. Other than the mind, we have this intellect. Now, intellect is a word that comes from a Sanskrit word, buddhi. Buddhi is a Sanskrit word for intellect. Intellect is a very poor representation of, of buddhi. Because buddhi not only means clarity of thinking, buddhi is our awareness. It is our consciousness in a limited sense. It is not, a, not pure consciousness, but it takes you to that pure conscious state. I'll put that another way. We've all, we've all heard of Buddha, right? What does Buddha mean? The enlightened one, the awakened one. Buddha means the awakened one. Now we all have that Buddha state within us. It's called samadhi or self-realization. 
The self within is the Buddha state. And we gain that Buddha state through the buddhi. Buddhi is Buddha with an eye on the end. Buddhi is awakened thinking, enlightened thinking. This is the buddhi. This is the intellect. It is our clarity. It is our awareness. It is our consciousness. It is our ability to manage our mind. You must not forget that. It is our ability to manage our mind. Our mind which causes all our chaos, all our confusion, all our doubts and indecisions. This is the mind. It is constantly rambling. The mind is constantly rambling. It is the intellect that keeps the mind in the present. Only the intellect can do it. Only the buddhi can keep the manas mind in the present. I'll give you an analogy of the mind and the intellect. The mind is like water flowing in a river. Where is the water flowing to? In a river, where is the water flowing to? The ocean, right? So the mind is like water in a river flowing towards the ocean. In a perfect world, that would be very nice. But the mind rambles. It goes into the past and into the future. It never remains in the present. So it's water flowing constantly. The mind is rambling constantly into the past and into the future. The banks of the river are like the intellect. Now, if the banks are strong, it keeps that flow going towards the ocean, right? If those banks, if the intellect is weak, what happens to the flow? Yeah, it floods, right? The water inundates the land on either side. The, the banks collapse and the water flows out and inundates the land on either side, destroying not only everything around it, but itself. The river is no more. The river is ego, conditioned consciousness. So the analogy is that we must build the banks of the river, the banks of our intellect, to keep the flow of water going towards the ocean. When the, when the banks are weak, when the intellect is weak, the water flows into the past and future, rambles into the past and future and destroys everything around you. You worry about what has happened in the past. You become anxious about what might happen in the future. You're never in the present. So the banks of the river, the banks of the intellect, keep that mind flowing towards the ocean of your true self. It keeps the mind present, <coughs> always. But we need these three yogas, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, and jnana yoga, to keep our mind, to build our intellect, to keep our mind present, okay? So I'll just explain. You've got the, the sheet in front of you. With the pursuit, I'll just read you the first paragraph before the 
before the um, diagram there, with the pursuit of the appropriate yogas, that means karma yoga, bhakti yoga and jnana yoga, with the pursuit of the appropriate yogas, the mind is freed from the bulk of desires. You develop a sense of dispassion, a feeling of renunciation. Your mind withdraws from its involvement in the affairs of the world. So what he means here is with the pursuit of the appropriate yogas. Now, an important point, with karma yoga, bhakti yoga and jnana yoga, karma yoga is the path of action. See, we're all acting. Every day of our lives we're acting. This is an action. Me speaking is an action. You listening is an action. From the moment we wake up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night, we are all acting. But there is something we need to understand in our actions. What do you think that is? What is the motive of the action? What is the motive of the action? Correct. What is the motive of the action? Why do we need to understand the motive? And the motive is the reason why we're doing a particular action. What it, why do we need to understand that motive? It's important for us to understand what our motive is for action because there are consequences of every action that we perform. And actions are not just physical, they're emotion, mental, emotional, and intellectual. Physical, emotional, and intellectual. We have consequences at all three levels. Today we are a product. It's called karma yoga. Karma means action. Yoga means union. Today we are a product of our past. There is a law of karma, a law of action which means that everything that we have done in the past has brought about this product, this consequence of who we are today. And every moment of our day, we are performing actions, either consciously or unconsciously. Because most of them are not conscious. They're, a lot of them are unconscious actions. And every action has a consequence. Unconscious actions have consequences. And we are paying for those consequences. Our conscious actions have consequences and we're reaping benefits from those conscious actions. And what is a conscious action? Intellect supervising mind. In fact, this is what Vedanta means, intellect supervising mind. Mind performs unconscious actions because it's always in the past or future. Intellect performs conscious actions. Intellect will take you higher. Mind will take you lower. It will spiral you down. So we need to change what it is that we're doing. We have a choice. We can either devolve or evolve. That choice rests within us. So if we want the consequences of our actions to be good, then we have to think very carefully about what it is that we are working for. What are we doing what we're doing? Why? Who are we doing it for? When you come here this evening, who have you come here for? 
Me, 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 my. <laughs> Spot on. Spot on. So now we have we have a choice. We can because me, 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 my, 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 mine. I, 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 I. My, 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 my. It leads to unhappiness, and we don't want to be unhappy. It leads to all our sorrow and suffering in life. We don't want that. <laughs> Selfishness is the cause of all our problems. This me, 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 my, 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 I, 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 mine, mine, mine. We have a choice. And this is the mind. Personal likes and dislikes. Oh, I like this, I'll go along. I. I, I'm working for myself. Everybody says that. Who are you working for? Me, me. I'm working for myself. I'm working for my family. That's the extent of it. Change that to working for something higher. So then everything that we do in life, this is karma yoga, everything that we do in life becomes worship. Everything that we do is dedicated to a higher cause. It's worship. We don't have to go to a church, temple or mosque to worship. We do that in every moment of our day, every day of our lives, by converting our actions into worship, converting our thoughts into worship, by setting a higher ideal in life. Karma yoga is action. Dedicating everything that you do or don't do towards that higher ideal. So a simple example would be, I know that 6.30 is probably a rush for many of you to get here, but when I arrived this, this evening, the chairs weren't set up. That's fair enough, you know, it's the first day. But it's not really an excuse. So... If it inspires you that you would like to do something for this cause, this is a cause, it's a free course for your benefit and the benefit of others because when you benefit, you will benefit others. So it will spread out. It's a beautiful cause. So if you are inspired by this, then perhaps... Some of you might come along a little earlier and set it up. And also, it is a beautiful thing for you to do because you can sit down quietly before the class begins and center yourself. Gain some time for yourself, even if it's just a few moments. Converting actions into worship means not having any expectations for results, for returns, for rewards. Everybody wants a reward from what it is that they do. Everybody wants a pat on the back. Recognition. Oh, you've done a great job. Wonderful work. Because we're so poor inside, we need this Pat on the back. Karma yoga is working for a higher cause without any expectations. But 
the benefits that you gain are enormous. The joy that is derived from working selflessly towards a higher cause, and we'll talk more about that next week, is phenomenal. The benefits are phenomenal. The joy that you gain, the peace that you gain, the productivity that you gain, the efficiency, that sense of detachment is a, such a positive thing. You're no longer affected by what's happening around you. You still deal with what's happening around you, but in a calm and composed manner. You're not ruffled. So karma yoga will help you achieve that as long as there are no expectations of a reward. Do things selflessly. Selflessly, it, selfless means there is no ego functioning. There are three types of actions, selfish, unselfish, and selfless. Selfish actions, full ego. Ego and selfishness are married. Ego and selfishness. What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? Unselfishness is higher than selfishness, of course. Unselfishness is what can I do for you? What can I do for this cause? But there is still that I there. What can I do? So there's that expectation that creeps in. And it's so subtle, it does creep in. And it spoils it all. That ego spoils it all. That selfishness spoils it all. I read a beautiful quote the other day. I think it was by Rumi. When shall I be free? When I shall cease to be. When shall I be free? When I shall cease to be. That is a selfless state. Selflessness is no ego. There is another quote by Edward Carpenter. He says, there can be no happiness unless you have clean dropped thinking about yourself. And you cannot do it by halves. While even there is the least grain of self, meaning small self, left, it will spoil it all. Vouchsafe this personality no more interest than that you do of a stranger. Don't give this personality any more interest than you do a stranger. You're very polite to a stranger, aren't you? But you don't give a black market value to a stranger. It's not that important to you. You're very polite, very courteous. You do the right thing. Same interest and importance you give to yourself. Look after yourself. Take care of this body. This body is the temple. But within it lies the divinity. So the body is just the temple. Don't give it so much importance. It's what is within the body that is important. That divine self. 
but we have to enter through the body, through the temple, to get to that divinity. <coughs> so take care of this temple, this body. Look after it. It's the only one you have for this life. Look after your mind. <coughs> Don't beat yourself up. And look after your intellect. Strengthen it. It's a muscle. It needs to be developed. That's what this course will help you do. Develop your intellect to manage your mind. Okay, so if we can take care of this body, mind and intellect through this spiritual knowledge, through Vedanta, we will have succeeded in life. We will have gained everything that we want in life. It gives you two things. Vedanta gives you two things. Any idea what those two things might be? Freedom from the self. It does definitely give you that. Freedom from this ego. Which means what? What does it mean at the mental level? Peace. Gives you peace, freedom, absolute freedom. Gives you peace, and what else? That's a synonym for peace, contentment. Yeah, definitely. What else? Contentment, peace, these are synonyms. It gives you knowledge of the self. It gives you knowledge of the self. But with that knowledge of the self, you gain peace and you gain... Pardon? Compassion. Yes, you gain compassion, most definitely. You gain all these beautiful emotions, compassion, kindness, what are all those positive emotions, love, etc., etc. That is the peace. So with that detachment from the world, you gain peace. Peace of mind. These two things, peace of mind and <laughs> productivity productivity it makes you dynamic and we all want to be that we are that we are dynamic people but it, in our dynamism in our productivity we're stressed we're not peaceful it's very easy to be peaceful in a peaceful place right it's very easy to be peaceful in a peaceful place Mahatma Gandhi said, it is easy to find Shanti. Shanti means peace. It is easy to find Shanti in Shanti. But it is difficult to find Shanti. You need to be a stalwart. You need to be a master of yourself to find Shanti in Ashanti. Meaning to find peace in the marketplace, to find peace at work when we're all stressed and there's so many pressures put upon us. We need to be calm and composed in that environment. And we will with this knowledge. We won't let anything ruffle us. Nothing can affect us. We're being affected because our, the banks of our intellect are not strong enough. So we have to develop those banks. You had a question? Sorry. What's your form of prayer? Prayer. Prayer is praying on others. What do people pray for? 
things they want. So prayer generally is a selfish thing. You pray for what you don't have. Peace you don't have, so you pray for it. It won't get you anywhere. What gets you anywhere is converting your actions into worship and not having any expectations out of what it is that you do. So that means no prayer, doesn't it? You don't have any expectations. You don't want anything out of what it is that you're doing. You are being purely selfless in your actions. Everybody prays for what they don't have. It's a selfish action. It's the lowest type of action. Please. You pray for somebody else. It's how. But why do you want health for somebody else? Out of compassion. Out of compassion. Why do you want attachment? Thanks, Aaron. You pray for. Now I'm getting in. Now I'm going to spoil the whole thing, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> All my good work will be done. Uh, finished. <laughs> Please come back next week before I. <laughs> Um, you have all I'm all I'm going to say about prayer and praying for others is that you must be careful of your motive. Be sure of your motive. What are you praying for? Are you praying for others because those others cater to you? You're praying for your mother because you don't want your mother to to die. You pray that she will live. Why? You don't want her to die. You don't want her to die. Will you pray for your neighbour's mother? <laughs> That's the question. We have to ask ourselves, would I pray for my neighbour's mother? Maybe you would. Then you are the salt of the earth. I don't know how many people would genuinely have the same affection for your neighbour's mother as you do for your own. So just check your motive behind the prayer. That's all. This knowledge is what is needed because it's so practical. And it. please don't go home with this, oh, she's very negative about prayers. It's not. I'm very positive, very positive for all of us. If we can learn how to convert everything that we do into worship, if we can learn how to dedicate everything we do into realising our true self. Okay, with that, we'll end today's session. Are there four minutes left? Oh, sorry. Does anybody have a question? Yes. Um, it sounds very difficult to me to avoid all selfishness in your actions. Like even when you fly to in, uh, when you flew to India, yeah. who did you fly for? If it's not for your own enlightenment. Great, great question. <laughs> great question. Because what was the question? The, the question. The question is, um, she. What is your name? Sarah. Sakumi? Salumi. Salumi. Salumi asks, um, she finds it very difficult, and it is, it is not easy. She finds it very difficult to understand how we can convert our knowledge, convert our actions into worship and not expect anything out of them for ourselves, how they cannot be selfish. And she used the example of when I flew to India, 
to gain this knowledge, who was I gaining it for? I was gaining it for myself, no question, because I didn't have the knowledge. I'm giving you the knowledge. I'm giving you the knowledge for, I didn't have the knowledge then. So I was going for myself. This, I, for going for, I was going for peace. Yes, for myself. No question about that. I was a selfish person. When I started the course, I was incredibly selfish. The beauty of the Vedanta course at the academy is that it converts selfishness into selflessness, but it takes three years full time. <laughs> so it is difficult. It is difficult. Go to the Vedanta Academy. You'll only take you three years. <laughs> Took me a lot longer, six years. Here, it may take longer, but it all depends on the effort that we're prepared to put in. It is not easy. I'm glad you've realized that already. It's not easy. But please put in the effort. The rewards that you reap, and not that you want those rewards, but the rewards and the benefits that you reap with every little bit of effort that we put in is incredible. 